This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. One of the dangers of live broadcasting is that it is live and therefore subject to uncorrectable problems and that happened as we tried to launch the program here today on viewpoint so i welcome you aboard i'm chuck chris meyer's conversation as always with ever increasing conviction talk that transforms and i must inform you that trust is an endangered species trust is an endangered species no question about it our trust is being seduced away from us All you have to do is pay attention to what's going on in our world, in our country, at every single level, and we find that our trust is being betrayed. Republicans are betraying it. Democrats are betraying it. Leaders, elephants, donkeys, betraying our trust. Our courts are betraying our trust. Our educational system is betraying our trust at every single level, It almost as if there is nothing that can be trusted anymore. We were warned of this back about 15 years ago as uh, I was traveling back and forth across the country and uh, in a layover came across uh, U.S. News and World Report. Actually, it was USA Today. USA Today, the the, uh, newspaper that you can find in just about every airport, at least used to be able to. And I noticed the cover story that is the front page it was very unique on the front page were massive letters about three four inches tall in green with a very unique kind of lettering and here was the word trust that's all it said trust right in the middle of all of the black and white print trust and the gist of the feature story of that particular paper that issue was that America's institutions were all facing this serious problem where Americans were losing their trust, losing their trust in their economics, losing their trust in uh, those that they had entrusted their political persuasion to, losing their trust at every level, including in our churches. That's right. Everything, all of our institutions, everything is at issue, an endangered species. That's trust. The problem with this is that our trust is being seduced away. You see, if you lose your trust, if trust is fractured and you feel betrayed by various institutions, one or many, nature abhors a vacuum. And the tendency then for human beings is to fill that vacuum of trust with something else. In other words, we will shift our trust. That's where the danger is. Now, we can either shift our trust toward God, or we can shift our trust elsewhere. And that is where the danger comes. In fact, it becomes a gateway to deception. Shifting trust becomes a gateway to deception. And so today on Viewpoint, 
I want to encourage you, uh, because I want to be encouraged myself, quite frankly. As I approach today's program, I must confess to you that I was deeply concerned, putting it mildly, deeply concerned, as perhaps many of you are. There is so much where, as human beings, we feel that our trust has been breached in one way or another and to one degree or another. And when that trust multiplies and breach upon breach upon breach occurs, we begin to wonder, what's the use? Where can I go? Is there any hope? And so today on Viewpoint, I specifically asked the Lord before Viewpoint, before the program, what do your people need to hear? What do your people need to hear, and what do I need to say and hear myself? So what you're going to hear today is the Lord's answer. 30 seconds after I asked the question, it was as if it came clear as a bell. It's about trust. The seduction of trust. And so I want to take you to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 112, and set the stage there. This is going to set the stage for the rest of our conversation. And you may want to take some mental notes today. Uh, if you're in a place, in an office or at a home or whatever, you might want to just jot down a few uh, little notes about the scriptures that we refer to here today. Because we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We need to get this thing right. And we do not want to be seduced. We don't want our trust to be seduced away from where it needs to be. You see, that's what happened with Peter. You remember when uh, Jesus came walking on the water out to his disciples amid a tempestuous sea there on the Sea of Galilee. What otherwise could have been a very peaceful sea turned into a horrific storm. And the disciples were all there in the boat, terrified as the waves were leaping over the boat, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. Scared the living daylights out of them at first. <clears throat> but then when they realized it was Jesus, uh, Peter wanted to get out of the boat. And so Jesus said to him, come. Just gave him a simple command, come. So Peter, in his usual exuberance, decided, okay, Jesus said, come, so I'm going to go. And so he got out of the boat, and literally, the Bible says, began to walk on the water. How was he able to do that? The issue was not faith in and of itself. The issue was not belief. The issue was trust. Trust is one of the three components, the three major components of the Christian faith. It's the one least talked about. The one most talked about and used is the word believe. The second most used one is the word faith. But trust is given short shrift. And yet, without trust, there's no legitimate belief and there's no legitimate faith. Today we focus on trust. So Peter was walking toward the Lord on the water because he trusted the word, the command that God had given to him, or that Jesus had given to him. And then all of a sudden, you know what happened. 
He took his eyes off of Jesus, and his trust failed. That's unfortunately what happens to you and happens to me. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, our trust fails. Now, friends, I've got to tell you, the seas are tempestuous right now. This week, things are as tempestuous as ever, maybe more so. But if we take our eyes off of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we are going to be seduced, our trust is going to be seduced to other alternatives. And that is a betrayal of the Lord himself. We don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. We don't want to enter the gateway to deception that will lead us off into a horrific never-never land to ultimately the counterfeit Christ. So today, we're going to fix our hearts. Are you ready for that? We're going to fix our hearts. Step two. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. There are only two pathways in life, and these paths follow the ways of two fathers, God and Satan. The psalmist declared, you will show me the path of life. Yet just four verses later, David proclaims, by the word of your lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. By the word of your lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Friends, we are in the path of the destroyer as we speak. He's raging. He knows his time is short, and he's going to do everything he can to shift our trust and to take us down. God's pathway is called the path of life, or the path of the just. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. By the way, that's first found in Habakkuk 2.4 in the Old Testament, and then picked up by Paul in Romans 4.3. So, the just shall live by faith. The path of life has to be walked by faith in simple trust and obedience. Simple trust and obedience. So it's from that relative simplicity of following God's pathway that the gospel song that most of us are familiar with, Trust and Obey, was written. And it's so simple that we must walk this path as a little child in absolute trust. And it's for that reason Jesus actually rebuked his disciples, saying, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Jesus' disciples wanted to keep the kids away. They thought that the path of the just was just too difficult, too complex for little kids. But Jesus said no. Allow the little kids to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Because of the issue of trust. Satan's paths are always complex. They don't require simple trust and obedience, but rather 
They inject all kinds of man's reasonings and thoughts and rationalizations and second-guessing and self-will. And David referred to those things as the paths of the destroyer. So Satan's paths often seem to provide shortcuts to salvation or blessing, but they inevitably lead to destruction. So again, the Bible says there is a path which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So mankind has been seduced to follow the deceiver's pernicious paths like children following the Pied Piper since the Garden of Eden. And that, friends, is where trust met his demise. In the Garden of Eden. That's where trust was first fractured. God had said, as the creator, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, but of this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll not eat of that, because of the day you do it, you will surely die. The deceiver came along and seduced Eve first, and then Adam through Eve, away from trusting the clear, simple word of God. Eve knew what it was. But Satan got her to reason. He got her to begin to reason in her mind and heart and test God's motivations and uh, uh, all kinds of things that came into play. Notice he created complexity. How many times have you heard news media saying uh, with such issues as abortion or homosexuality or so on, it's just so complex. No, it's not that complex. It really isn't. We want to make it complex to try to avoid having to deal with it in the simplicity that God has stated. In reality, walking with the Lord in the light of his word is not complex at all. It's super simple. And that's why Jesus said, unless you become a little child, you can't even see the kingdom of God. So as we're trying to walk through and navigate through these very, very troubled waters right now, political waters, economic waters, uh, medical waters, uh, all kinds of waters, including spiritual waters, all of the waters are roiling. And you feel it. I feel it. We all feel it because we're human beings. But we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, he went through a lot of these temptations too. But he didn't yield to the temptations so that he he could be the savior of our souls. He became obedient because he trusted. He trusted God. So I want to take you to Psalm 112, one of my favorite psalms. And uh, this should encourage you. And again, we're talking about how to fix our hearts so that we are not seduced away from trusting God. How to fix our hearts. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments. That's the first secret. The first secret is fearing the Lord. Now, if you think that's a bad thing, then you're going to be seduced away. You just are. 
because the fear of the Lord is the foundation for all the promises of God, including salvation itself. That's why I wrote the book, The Secret of the Lord. The secret of the Lord is with them who fear him, and to them and them only will he show or manifest his covenant. So I urge you, if you don't have that book, to get it. The Secret of the Lord. It's a uh, 20, I think it was a $22 book, yours for $15. It's a hardbound book. And uh, it will open up an understanding that has been lost largely in the life of professing Christians for a very long time. That's the foundation. Even the mercy of the Lord is extended only to those who fear him. That's what the scripture says. So blessed is the man or woman that fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. That's the second thing. We have to delight greatly in God's word. We don't just take uh, every once in a while a few little tidbits from it. We don't just put it under our pillow at night. Uh, We just don't carry it to uh, church on Saturday or Sunday or whenever we're worshiping. And we don't just read some little devotional book and think that somehow we're delighting greatly in God's word. No, you're delightly, delighting lightly in God's word, not greatly. If you want to be able to stand, and having done all to stand, stand, and be able to resist the seduction of trust in this environment, you must come both to fear the Lord and delight greatly in his commandments. It's absolutely fundamental. It's essential. There's no getting around it, no skirting, no obfuscating, no excuses. Don't tell me you can't read. Don't tell me you don't want to read. God didn't ask you whether you wanted to. He said, do it. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's not enough to go into a church building somewhere and have uh, a few verses put up on a screen once a week. That's not delighting in the word of God. That's using it parenthetically while you go on the rest of the week doing your own thing and ignoring God's word, which is the anchor for your soul. Now, look at the promises that come from these two things in Psalm 112. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. That person's seed shall be mighty upon the earth. Number one. Number two. The generation of that person, the upright, shall be blessed. Do you desire those things? Good. Next, wealth and riches shall be in his house. Next, his righteousness will endure forever. In other words, there would be a memory, a righteous memory of that person. Next, unto the upright, that is this person who fears the Lord and delights greatly in his commandments, there arises light when everything else seems dark. And that person is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. In addition to that, that person shows favor and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion when everybody else is roaming around doing whatever feels good. Now listen to this. Surely that person that fears the Lord and delights greatly in his commandments shall not be moved forever. 
He shall be an everlasting remembrance. Now, here's what I want to get to. He, she, shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Are you afraid? Are you afraid of whatever tidings have already come on November 3rd? Are you afraid of the tidings that came as a result of November 6th or January 6th? Are you afraid of what's going to happen on January 20th or thereafter? Are you afraid of whatever's going to happen when the next iteration of COVID and all of the false representations that are being made that you cannot trust from Dr. Fauci or any other false uh, deliverer of uh, uh, information? You see, everything that can be shaken is being shaken. We're being betrayed at every level. And you cannot trust the representations because behind these representations there is a false undisclosed agenda that is not in your favor. But this person who fears the Lord and delights greatly in his commandments shall not be moved, shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His or her heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Now, I love this. His or her heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His or her heart is established. They shall not be afraid. Now, if we're trusting in the Lord, we're going to keep our eyes on him. But you can't say that you're keeping your eyes on him when you're doing your own thing. You can't say you're keeping your eyes on him when you're looking at the tempestuous waves around you, the political waves, the economic waves, the uh, medical waves, the uh, whatever other way, spiritual waves, and so on. No. Friends, trusting requires spiritual energy. It's not a passive thing. Trusting is not a passive thing. You can say you have faith. You can say you believe. But if you don't trust, you don't really have faith and you don't really believe. And that's why trust, believe, and faith are three words that comprise the stool, shall we say, the foundational stool of the Christian faith. Those three things. In fact, the root word for those three things is nearly the same. But they have different implications. And trust is the one that's usually left out. That's why we're focusing on that today, because without that, you can say, you can talk about how much you believe all you want. You can talk about how much faith you have all you want. But if you don't trust, you don't have either one of them, not really. They're not operational. Trust is the operational aspect of believing and faith. Now, what links those three together? You see, if those are the legs of a three-cornered stool upon which the Christian faith and your life rests, if there's not something that ties them together, it's not going to work. Those legs are going to collapse on you. And here's what ties them together. It's a word, the most hated word in the church today. Obey. O-B-E-Y. 
That's what links all three legs together in an operational whole that secures your belief, your faith, and your trust. It's not that what you do saves you. It's that what you do reveals whether you really do believe, have faith, and trust. Hence the song, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. All right. We're talking about how to avoid the seduction of trust, which is a gateway to deception. We don't want to be deceived. In the second half of the program, we're going to take a look at Psalm 37, and uh, we're going to be asking the question, what does God desire? What does God desire? What do we do when our heart is overwhelmed? Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Always a delight to be able to come before you here on Viewpoint to uh, encourage, to strengthen, to woo, to warn, to build up, to prepare the way of the Lord, to disciple for destiny, all of those wonderful good things. Today, we're discipling for destiny. We're also wooing and warning and preparing the way of the Lord. We're doing all of those things today for history's final hour and for you because you and I, as professing Christians, are in, what shall we say, a time of great testing. Abraham Lincoln said in his Gettysburg Address, now we're engaged in a great civil war, testing whether this nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Let's rephrase that. Today we're engaged in a great spiritual war, testing whether you and I, or anyone who professes to follow the Lord can long endure. That's where we are. It's as simple as that. You can talk about all your religious uh, rhetoric. You can you can talk about how many times you go to church. You can talk about how many Bibles you own. Uh, you can talk about what you say you believe, that you believe uh, the Westminster Confession, or you believe the Catholic Catechism, or whatever it is you think you believe. And it all doesn't mean very much unless your faith is operational in holy trust. Your heart is not fixed. If your heart is fixed in a catechism, you are going to go down with a tsunami of unbelief. Your, your trust is going to be seduced away from the Lord. 
I don't care whether you're Protestant or Catholic. Your trust is going to be seduced away. Some of you have in your hands a copy of my book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. It's an $18 book, and I'm going to make it available to you uh, because it's going to help you deal with the seduction that is coming upon us in waves, a tsunami, in so many ways that you can hardly even imagine how it's coming. And it hasn't stopped yet. And it's not going to stop. It's going to come with ever-increasing intensity. That's what the Bible says. So, how to avoid the deception, the seduction, and how to stay pure in such a world. It's yours for $15. It's going to encourage your heart. Yes, you may actually end up with some conviction. Like a lady who called me from uh, Texas last week. Deeply convicted as she read the book. Realizing that her trust wasn't quite what she thought it was. She wanted prayer. She was desperately sincere. And you will be too when you read the book. As someone said, you can't listen to Viewpoint long and not be changed, and you'll not be able to read a book like this and not be changed. You will be drawn to a new level of trust. A new level of what it really means to believe. A new level of what it really means to walk by faith and not by sight. $15 will put seduction of the saints in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, in the first segment of the program, we talked about the book, The Secret of the Lord. That's also yours for $15. It's a hardbound $20 book, I believe it is. And it's yours for $15. If you get both of these books together, instead of $5 postage and handling for each, it will be a total of $7 postage and handling for the two of them. Uh, So uh, just let us know, and uh, that's how it's going to work out, particularly if you order online, saveus.org. All right. Now, I want to move beyond. We're not here to sell books. You need to know that. I don't write books to sell books. I write books to communicate a message. The message that I believe would be God's message for this unique moment of human history. And that's why this week I began the 10th book, Messiah. Messiah. Unraveling, unveiling the mystery of the ages. It may be my last book because Jesus is coming soon and we want to be ready, don't we? Psalm 108 says, Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Oh God, my heart is fixed. So I will sing and give praise. Let's talk about that for just a moment. 
It's one thing to think that our heart is fixed. It's one thing, another thing for it to be fixed. Now, what happens to unravel a fixed heart? Well, our loose jaws. Our loose jaws. Do you remember when God told Joshua as they approached Jericho what the battle plan was going to be? He said, look, I want you to march around these walls once a day for seven days or for six days. And on the seventh day, I guess it was on the sixth day, I want you to march around seven times. And on the seventh time, then you will give a great shout, blow the trumpet, and I'll give you the city. So what did Joshua tell the people? He warned them. He said, look, there's going to be, many of you are going to feel like you're going to murmur and complain, just like you did when you came out of Egypt. You're going to bellyache. You're going to start complaining. You're going to start making uh, unfaithful statements. You're going to destroy the trust of the rest of the Israelites. So I'm going to order you, shut your mouth. That's a good French term that I'm going to teach you. For those of you who have never studied French, it will help you to drive this message home for yourself. And here it is. Ferme la bouche. Ferme la bouche. It means shut your mouth. Ferme la bouche. God is saying to you and to me, when we are tempted to whine, to complain, to murmur, to fret, to be continually frustrated, to devolve into anger and bitterness and resentment, all the kinds of things that can happen when our trust is being seduced. He says, ferme la bouche, shut your mouth. Get control of your motor mouth lips because out of the mouth is all this unbelief that comes, this destruction that comes out of your mouth where it's out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Now, there's somebody listening to the program today that's got a mouth problem. You've got motor mouth lips You're prone to constantly be murmuring and complaining or fretting, expressing anxiety, wringing your hands openly uh, with your mouth before friends and relatives and neighbors and so on. Hey, you're discouraging the brethren and you're destroying your own trust. You're being seduced. The enemy of your soul is seducing you. And it's a gateway to even deeper deception. Ferme la bouche. Now, when your heart is overwhelmed, the scripture says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, I know a lot about rocks. I used to climb them. Used to climb peaks. Love the feeling of that solid granite. Didn't much like getting onto limestone because it was 
kind of loose. But solid granite, oh yes. Get my good handhold, stick my uh, uh, climbing protection in there, and uh, it was a wonderful feeling. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Over and over again, God is referred to as the rock of our salvation. Now, if you're standing on the rock, you're not fretting. If you're on loose ground, if you're on uh, shaky ground, if you're on uh, slippery ground, your trust is going to slip as well. So the psalmist said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I when I'm overwhelmed. Are you overwhelmed? I bet you are. I'll tell you one thing. I was feeling kind of overwhelmed today. I went to my office administrator, who happens to be my eldest daughter, knows me as well as just about anybody on earth except my wife. And I shared that with her. And she encouraged me. See, remember, it's about your trust. It's not about Biden. It's not about Trump. They're not the saviors. And she's right. And I've been saying that to you for a very long time. We've got to trust God right now. What does God desire? He desires our trust. More than anything else, you say, oh, how I love Jesus. Really? Do you trust him? Well, not that much. Do you obey him? No, not really. Then you don't trust him and you don't love him. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you don't obey me, you don't love me. You see how all these things tie together? And it's about life. It's not about theology. It's about relationship. If my wife doesn't trust me, doesn't much feel like love. If I don't trust her, doesn't much feel like love. But when we trust one another, it's a beautiful thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, my friend. Do not lean to your own understanding. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Indeed, trust is an endangered species, as we've learned here in the program today. And our trust, our true and legitimate trust in the Lord is being seduced away by 
the pressures, the tests that are coming upon us. And they're coming in many, many, many different forms, and they aren't going to stop. They're going to intensify. Therefore, I want to encourage you. God wants to encourage you. He wants you to encourage yourself in his word, like David did when he was overwhelmed. And he did get overwhelmed. He had a lot of enemies. And so I want to take you to Psalm 37. In Psalm 37, we have one of the most wonderful prescriptions for how we should live in times like these. We need an anchor. We need to be very sure. We need to have our hearts fixed. And when I use the word fixed now, we're not talking about repaired. We're talking about made strong, stable, determined, unmovable. Number one, Psalm 37, verse one, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Does that sound like a suggestion? No, it's a command. Fret not. Now, does that mean we shouldn't be concerned about things that are happening, about evil around us? No. But ultimately, we can't allow our lives to be destroyed by those things. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus or we will sink, just like Peter did. And had to cry out, Lord, save me. He said, well, what's wrong with you? You were walking on the water when you looked at me. When you kept your eyes on me, reminds me of the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Maybe you haven't heard that. It's a song of yesteryear. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Number two, verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. You can't make other people do good, but you can do good. That's why when I wrote the book, Renewing the Soul of America, the, the uh, subtitle, One Person at a Time, beginning with you, it's all about you. It's not about them. You can't change somebody else, but you can change yourself with God's help. That's what his grace is for, his enabling power to enable you to do his will. Trust in the Lord. Hang everything you are, everything you have, all your hopes, all your dreams on him. Number three, delight yourself also in the Lord. What does that mean? Delight yourself in the Lord. Well, if you have a warm an intimate relationship with the Lord, you're going to delight yourself. Whenever we have a good, warm relationship with someone, it's a delight. It's special. You should be delighting in the relationship with your husband or with your wife. You should be delighting in a relationship with your children. Pastors should be delighting in relationship with those who are in their uh, sphere of ministry. 
You might have a neighbor that you delight in their uh, fellowship. Delight. But in this instance, it's not something passive that happens to you. It's something you are required to do. In other words, it's an affirmative action program. Notice, all of these items are affirmative actions that you and I have to take by faith as a manifestation of our growing trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. How can you say you're delighting yourself in the Lord when you don't spend quality time in his word every day? How can you say that? You're deceiving yourself. You're not serious. You're not sincere. Not really. Don't tell me God knows your heart. Sure he knows your heart. He knows your heart because you don't do what he says. And you don't care about his word. Which means you don't care about him because he gave his word as his love letter to you and me. He wants us to memorize it and to meditate on it day and night, just like David did. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night, he said. No wonder God called him a man after his own heart. Number four, commit your way unto the Lord. Commit your way unto the Lord. In other words, stop feeling like you have to be in control all the time. That you have to control everything. You can't control everything. You and I cannot control what's going to happen on January 20th. We couldn't control what happened on November 3rd. In fact, it seems that no one could control it. It was so full of betrayal and deception. That's water under the bridge now. So, right now, commit your way unto the Lord. Then again, the emphasis is trust also in him. So while we're committing our way, we have to reiterate the necessity for trusting. This is what God is really after. And then finally, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, it's very hard to be patient in times like these, particularly as Americans. We're just not known as a very patient people. We're get it on people. And, uh, you know, we want to make it happen. And uh, we live in a mick world in which everything has to happen instantly. But God doesn't work that way. He just doesn't. And one of the most difficult things to learn is how to wait patiently on the Lord and rest. That's part of trusting. That's part of having your heart fixed. Now, very quickly, I want to shift from that and take you to specifics in my book, Antichrist, how to 
identify the coming imposter. The book ends with a chapter called Training for Triumph. Faith that triumphs. There's no fear in true love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. You can't fear and trust at the same time. So, throughout the scriptures, we're told to fear God, but are severely warned not to fear man, for the fear of man brings a snare. He that fears man is not made perfect in love. So, pastors and priests and parents, all of us, we must truly ask ourselves whether the fear of man is curtailing our willingness to directly prepare those entrusted to us for the rapidly ensuing challenges to their faith and eternal destiny. This is not a time for parsing words in fear of our families or constituencies, but for powerfully exhorting them in how to prepare, be prepared for both Christ and his apostles warned that it, what was going to engulf the earth, and it's happening. And the accuser of the brethren is going to attack those who are weak and unprepared for this final battle of faith revealed in trust. So, what should we do? When the scripture says, when Jesus himself warned that the day is coming when men's hearts will fail them for fear for the things that are coming upon the earth, it's happening. It's happening right now in front of us. I have not taken the time to go in and dredge all those things out again today because I believe that the Lord wanted to direct a different message, one that was to help us get our hearts fixed, not being roiled about by every wind that troubles, but to enable us to be established in our faith for these difficult times. So, from the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, comes these admonitions from the final chapter, Training for Triumph. First, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Because your spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? Next, watch and prepare. Because you don't know the hour that the Lord is going to come. Next, watch and persevere. Be sober-minded. Don't sleep on the job. Next, don't forsake the assembling of yourself with other believers, real believers. Don't forsake it. Next, set your affections. Set them. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Ultimately, it's not about politics. It's not about the economy, stupid. It's not even about the virus. Ultimately, we're supposed to set our affections on the kingdom of God. Clear your conscience. Hold your faith in a good conscience, because if you don't, you're not going to be able to trust. Repent for restoration in your life. Submit to God and his word. God resists the proud, 
but he will enable the humble. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Purify your heart. Don't be double-minded. Hate hypocrisy. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, deceiving your own self. Love truth and live righteously. Cast not away your confidence. Don't be slothful. Don't cast away your confidence because it has great recompense of reward. But you have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Endure hardship by faith. Like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Prepare for perilous times because they're here. And more are coming. Prepare for persecution. Jesus warned about it. He said, true believers will be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. Use hospitality because the end of all things is at hand, said Peter. Use hospitality without grudging. This is a very important thing. In fact, you might want to be encouraged in that by getting a copy of our book, The Power of Hospitality, on our website, saveus.org. $15 will put it in your hands. The Power of Hospitality, a radically life-changing message. It has become a life message for my wife and I over the past uh, 35, 40 years. Be holy and filled with hope. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Hope to the end. Be willing to suffer. Be an overcomer. Let no man take your crown. Endure patiently. Be strong and courageous. Test the spirits. Be steadfast. Give diligence and purify yourself by faith. Every man that had this hope in him at the second coming of Christ will purify himself even as Christ is pure. The book, Antichrist, a $22 book on our website, saveus.org will change your life and strengthen you for times like these again it's on our website saveus.org all of these books there or call us 1-800-SAVE-USA they're there for you to be strengthened and encouraged we make no money from these it's about getting a message out God bless be a blessing be strong. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.